fit any of the racial stereotypes that are out here uh, for black people. Give me a guess if you don't fit the stereotype of the of the black man who's you know who's ignorant and you know doesn't like women and doesn't take care of his kids and all the other silly stuff they put out there in the media. Uh, give me a guess if you're a black woman who doesn't believe in being crazy and ratchet and ridiculous, or, you know, and all these other things that they portray. Um, I think that's really important. So that's what we represent. We represent all the black people who don't represent stereotypes. Uh, we're, we're really trying to create a new prototype instead of a stereotype. And that prototype is the B1 child, the B1 uh, the B1 mother, the B1 father. And what that pretty much means is being black first. Black first means you put your community uh, first. It means you take care of your kids. It means you handle your business. It means you're preparing for the future. It means that you're investing. It means that you're educating your own. You're doing what you got to do in order to be successful. And uh, and I really want to reemphasize that to you guys uh, so you guys would just kind of know what we're all about and what we represent and who we represent. Uh, now, uh, just a reminder, uh, just so you know, uh, I'm going to start doing Stock Market Tuesdays on um, uh, on uh, a different uh, platform. Uh, we actually have our own B1 platform. It's called Black Enough. Uh, right now it's called Black Enough. We're going to rebrand it as B1 Nation. But Black Enough, if you go to B-L-A-G-G-E-N-U-F, B-L-A-G-G-E-N-U-F.com, uh, you can you can join. For now, you can join for free. Uh, we're going to let the first, uh, we're up to, we're, when we get to uh, about 80,000, we're not going to let anybody else in for free at that point because we don't want too many people there. Uh, we're up to, uh, we're in the uh, about 60,000 now. So if you want to join, uh, you have to answer three questions just to let us know who you are and what you represent and why you're there. Uh, we don't let everybody in. But of course, if you're a student in the Black Business School, stuff like that, or you believe in what we're doing, uh, then we can let you in as long as we bring positivity and learning and productivity. So the URL is B-L-A-G-G-E-N-U-F.com. And also uh, the All Black National Convention, as you guys know, is coming up very soon. Uh, and so if you'd like to join us at the All Black National Convention, uh, the discounted hotel rooms are almost gone. So if you'd like to get a discounted hotel room, uh, then just go to uh, allblacknationalconvention.com. We're going to be there October 20th through the 22nd in Atlanta. And uh, also there are some vendor spots available. Uh, we actually reduce the cost of vendor tables for those of you that follow me. So if you'd like to uh, get a vendor table and market your business and sell products, things like that, just go to allblacknationalconvention.com. Okay, so uh, first thing I wanted to kind of jump into really quickly is, um, uh, and, and as we go along, I'll, I'll kind of mention a stock or two that, I, that I've been interested in. Um, I saw this thing, and, and since we just talk about wealth, I think this is an interesting conversation. So I saw this thing where Tyler Perry uh, was listed uh, as the only black person in the Forbes list in the top 10 of uh, of earners uh, this past year. Um, I think that's really impressive. Uh, this man makes a lot of money. He's made of money. He's a billionaire now. Uh, he earned it. He earned it by um, developing, um, you know, in, a nice model of, of business uh, that uh, includes really good production, distribution, and monetization. Uh, I'm not here to um, to speak on the quality of the films one way or the other. Uh, Medea films are not quite my thing, but one thing that he really did was he had a really great laser-like focus on, uh, on who he was marketing to. And primarily, uh, Tyler Perry seems to market extensively to uh, black women who um, black women who are who are more uh, church and family oriented. A lot of his movies are about uh, you know family relationships, uh, you know stuff like that. Then they have the Medea stuff that comes in. It's kind of comedy. Uh, I don't know Tyler that well. Uh, I do know that when I did talk to him on the phone, he called me one time and we talked about fifteen minutes. And uh, he was a very nice man. And uh, also he helped me and my goddaughter do a tour of his studio. And it was about a two and a half hour tour. And I was really impressed with what I saw. Uh, he's really built something really extraordinary down in uh, Atlanta, and I'm really happy about the idea of Hollywood sort of shifting away from Atlanta. Uh, if you uh, read that book that I've told you guys to read called the How the Jews Invented Hollywood, an Empire of Their Own, it's a great book, and it really talks a lot about uh, about you know how they built it, how they did it. You know, in fact, I think I'm going to add that book to the book club. I think I'm going to read that one because I really want you to kind of see what it looks like to build an empire, what it looks like to create something out of nothing. Uh, I know that there are people who have this um, illusion that uh, that Jewish people can never be poor, that they're always just balling out of control, making tons of money. That's just not true. Uh, there have been very millions of poor, poor Jewish people. Uh, there were entire ghettos filled with uh, Jewish people in poverty. So not every Jewish person is born with a ton of money and a silver spoon in their mouth. So I think that that myth has to be kind of be eradicated. At the same time, they have uh, some principles of community, wealth, community and family, really, 
that that almost seem to have nothing to do with wealth to some extent, but they spill over into uh, into wealth growth and economic preservation. So uh, in my book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, which you can get a copy of drboycebooks.com if you'd like to get one. Uh, if, by the way, um, if you go there, uh, if you uh, use, use the code word book club, you can actually get uh, 30% off anything in the store. Uh, you'll find that that in that book, I talk a lot about economic culture and family and things like that. Um, and I was at the, uh, in fact, let me give you a real life example. This is something that happened to me this weekend. I was um, down in Austin, Texas uh, with my wife at, at the Wealth and Power Conference hosted by uh, the Conversation.tv. And, uh, and when I was down there, I, I, was, I was really impressed with this conference. It was really nicely well done. And uh, a lot of great people were there. Uh, and, uh, and we were, and I was speaking and I was, I observe everything when I'm, you know, when I'm in a, in a venue and, uh, in that particular conference, the, it was pretty much a family business. The mother was there helping out her son and her, and the son's son was there helping out his dad. And so this whole conference was pretty much being run by a family. In fact, I think his wife was also helping too. So, uh, you think about this, right? This this man, this, this this very intelligent black man who was running this amazing conference, had a lot of help. He had a lot of cheap labor, you know, low cost labor. Think about what it costs to hire three people um, and get them to work, you know, 12, 13 hours a day for the whole weekend. Right? That's a lot of money. If each person's making, let's say, forty dollars an hour because wages are going way up these days, um, then you're really talking about I don't know. Let's see, for each person, each day, what's forty? Let's see, forty times ten is four hundred dollars. Let's say five hundred dollars a day per person. So that's $1,000 for three different people that were helping him. Uh, that's $3,000 that he earned in black wealth by getting his loved ones to kind of chip in and help him with this conference. Because one thing that people don't know is that these conferences and conventions are very expensive. Uh, the All Black National Convention is going to cost us about a quarter million dollars, a quarter million dollars, you know, and uh, we don't complain about it. We just get it done. Uh, we, we turn down. We don't want any money from corporations. We don't want any money from the government. Uh, you know, so so basically the community, the B1 Nation uh, funds this, this convention. And we if you've been there, you know, it's amazing. It's so much fun. It's a great big family reunion. Lots of um, great ideas being shared, lots of action being taken, uh, things like that. And the B1 ball is amazing. But, uh, but I was really impressed by that. And this was a reminder of little things that you may not think about when it comes to wealth. So for example, you can easily argue that the number of kids you have, well-trained, well-behaved kids who are committed to the family structure, that that's that's built that's wealth building. You may not you may not think about making babies as wealth building. You may think, oh, making babies is just you know people just you know making babies, right? No, no, no. Having kids. Give me a guess if you understand what I'm saying. When you have kids, you are adding wealth to the family. Children are a form of wealth. So keep that in mind um, as you sort of. But but the other thing too is that just like any other financial asset. Uh, it, a child is a huge financial asset for the family, but just like any other financial asset, that asset must be properly managed. Okay, the asset must be properly managed. What does that mean? Well, um, if I have kids and, and they're not trained, uh, you know, to to be on code, they're not sort of they don't understand the family structure and how we do things in our family. Uh, if our if my kids are not, you know, sort of given the tools that they need to uh, to be successful and to be successful on behalf of the family, then there's not going to be any, as Kendall says, ROI. I'm just realizing the family ROI. There is no ROI, right? Well, well, think about this. Process this for me. And I want you to understand. I want you to make this complete analogy between. And we're going to talk about the stock market in a minute, by the way. I'm going to tell you guys about why the market dropped and all that. And I'll answer, I'll answer a bunch of your questions. So I want to make sure we get to that. I just like to start the conversation with something real relevant and, and direct in terms of, of what we're actually uh, seeing in the world. What actually applies to you right now. And, and so, um, so anyway... Um, uh, where was I going with that? Okay, so so basically, if you think about this, when you make an acquisition in a business, uh, if you go buy, if you buy another business, if that business or that new asset you've acquired is not properly managed, then you will lose wealth. Uh, I was I went through a book called Disney Wars recently, and in this book Disney Wars, they talked about Disney's acquisition. I believe it was of ABC. When they acquired ABC, one of the big problems they had was they acquired it, but they didn't they didn't properly manage it. Uh, they they didn't understand uh, exactly what was necessary to integrate that. Uh, and integration can be used in a positive way, right? To integrate that asset into the existing Disney, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Disney portfolio. So because they didn't properly integrate ABC into the Disney portfolio and didn't properly manage the asset, they were actually losing money. 
right? So your child, your relationships with anyone in your life, that's an asset, right? And 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 just like every other asset, it has to be managed properly uh, in order for it to be uh, beneficial to you. If it's improperly managed, then it can cause chaos and problems and things like that. Just the same way if a business improperly properly manages a financial asset, it can lead to uh, loss. It can lead to lawsuits. It can lead to a lot of other issues, okay? So give me a guess if you follow that analogy. I hope that that story is worthwhile to help you understand the big picture of wealth. I don't want you to just see it as, you know, X's and O's and charts and tables and 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 calculations. I need you to see it as just life. <laughs> like wealth is life. Life is wealth, right? Life is wealth. And, and I'm not saying this just because I'm trying to be all touchy-feely. I'm saying it because it's true. You, you know, remember, I've seen financial equations at the highest levels. You know, when you, I, I keep reminding you guys, I'm not just a guy who knows a little bit about money or took a couple classes or has an MBA or a CPA or something like that. No, 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 no. When you get a PhD, you study, you study wealth as a science, you know, the same way a biologist studies bacteria in a lab or, or the way, uh, you know, the way, um, I don't know, a, a, a high level engineer and a PhD in engineering will understand electricity and, 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 uh, and yeah, I don't know, uh, quantum computing or something, right? So you understand it in a, in a way that's just almost weird, right? And so what I, so, so uh, if you trust the weirdness, um, and I wrote about it a lot in my book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, the thing I wanna do for you, uh, that I'm hoping I'm able to do for you, that I believe I'm doing for you, I'm hope, I hope I'm doing this okay, uh, in a way that works for you, is I want to take the weirdness and make it simple so that everybody can incorporate all that into your household. And, and, and that, let's not call it weirdness, let's, let's call it your superpower. Uh, because because I think that if you incorporate these superpowers into your household and you do it now, you do it consistently, you do it over time, then you're going to find that magically your family will just have more wealth than other people will have. And uh, and a lot of what's interesting about wealth is that it's a lot of times it's just the simple stuff that makes the big difference. Like um, little basic things that almost sound stupidly, uh, stupidly simple. Like um, if you want to have more wealth, then you should probably... Uh, give away less than you actually bring in. <laughs> if your outflows exceed your inflows, then you can't build wealth that way. I don't care how much money you make. If you spend more than you make, then you're not going to uh, accumulate wealth. Why? Well, because wealth is nothing but an accumulation process. All wealth is, is just this race to see who has the most stuff, right? So if, if you and I are in a race to acquire stuff and uh, you're giving away most of your stuff and I'm keeping most of my stuff, then ultimately I'm going to have more wealth. Well, that starts actually as a personality trait. Uh, they study children that are what they call anal retentive. You know, that like they talk about the babies who hold their poop in, right? <laughs> you know, it sounds crazy, right? Uh, but the anal retentive stuff, uh, like my brother, my brother was, you know, I'm not going to talk about him when he was a baby, but seriously, like he was, he was that kind of kid. And now as a grown man, um, he, he's still conservative. Uh, he has wealth because he doesn't blow his money. You'll never see him at the at the club throwing do putting dollars in stripper thongs and pouring liquor on the curb and all that. He's the kind of guy that will either never buy the liquor or he's the guy that will uh, take the take the, the bottle the the unfinished bottle home with him so he can have it for later on if he was to do that. He doesn't go to the club and doesn't drink. We don't drink and stuff like that. But I, by the way, just in case you want to know that that's another wealth killer is um, things like drugs and alcohol because drugs cost money um, and also uh, alcohol creates poor decisions. Uh, in fact, there is a story about a guy who went to a casino. Uh, people don't know this, but uh, when you go to casinos, they give you liquor because they because liquor makes you more confident. Liquor makes you a little loose in your decision making. Uh, liquor causes you just to make bad choices. So they love to give free drinks at the casino. So this guy got really drunk at the casino and he was worth about $20 million. He blew about 18 million of his $20 million net worth at the casino and he sued them because he said, I, I got drunk and I spent all my money and it's your fault because you got me drunk, right? And, uh, and so that's a debate, right, in terms of whether or not he was accountable. I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean, do you think that he has a case or do you think that he should be accountable for what he chooses to do? What do y'all think? I, I, I admit I'm in the accountability camp. I'm in the camp that says, well, you know, don't, don't do it. Like, if you don't want to lose all your money, don't go and do something that silly. But um, but, but then there are some people who would say, no, 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 it's the casino's fault because they served him the alcohol and whatever. All right. So, um, anyway, uh, one of the things I, I want to mention actually, before we dive into the stock market, what's going on with that is, um, if you want to know, uh, just speaking in terms of the Tyler Perry thing that, that was on my mind today, cause I just saw this thing where he was uh, the only black person in the top 10 of Hollywood's highest paid people. Um, one thing I like about Tyler Perry's approach, even though I don't, I don't, I honestly don't watch his movies. 
Um, and I told him that I told him, I said, I'm not really a Medea guy, but I like, I like your approach is, um, is he, uh, he's, he's really big on ownership. And if you listen to Tyler Perry talk, he has a lot of, he incorporates a lot of the B1 principles that we talk about into his model. Uh, and I think that was where we were able to connect. Uh, you know, we didn't, we don't necessarily agree on the whole wearing a dress sort of thing. I think that's a little bit too much sometimes, but at the same time though, uh, he's very, very big on ownership and, and management and control. Um, it, it, it's also, it, it pays off very well because he's able to have some control, some stake in every part of the process that is required to get his films out to the public. Uh, getting the film out to the public and making money involves three pieces. It involves production, distribution, monetization. Productions where you make the movie, distributions where you get it in front of people, monetization is where you're actually able to sell the product and make money from the distribution. Okay, because uh, distribution might be considered marketing or an end or just sending the film out to different locations where people get a chance to watch it. But just because you've distributed something doesn't mean people actually are going to want to watch it or pay for it. Right. So those are sort of three different processes. Uh, he's been able to kind of master all three. And, uh, and as a result of that, his wealth just is enormous. Uh, compared to other people that are in the film industry. I know a lot of people that make movies and don't make any money. They can make a great movie, but they don't know how to make make great money. And uh, a lot of it's because they don't understand the whole process. Uh, I believe that anybody, if you have a, especially if you have a child that's going into entertainment or something like that, have them learn all the parts of, of the process, especially if you're trying to be an independent filmmaker, actor, actress, singer, dancer, whatever. Uh, I talked to our youngest. Our youngest is, is, she loves to sing. She loves to dance. She's a great actress. Uh, and I tell her all the time, I say, I say you got to study business as much as you study singing, dancing, and acting. Or at the very least, you need somebody around you who's thinking about the business side of what you're doing. Uh, and so her older sister, who actually works for me, by the way, if you order my books or something at drboysbooks.com, she's literally the one who will send you the book. She, she sends the book out. She's, um, she's more of an accountant. She's not into... Uh, the arts, like she kind of goes to plays in the theater and kind of laughs and thinks it's kind of silly. But but she's gonna she's likely gonna be like an accountant or an attorney or something like that. And so I said, get your sister. I said, look, you're you're the artist. You're very creative. Get your sister, you know, to work with you and to manage the business side of what you're doing. And then what happens is that you're then able to have more control over the process and generate uh, more wealth for yourself and financial security and freedom. But in addition to that, you're able to choose your own destiny. Right. Because you control the whole process. So one thing that people didn't like about Tyler Perry that, that upset a lot of people was that Tyler, um, Tyler, uh, what was it? Oh, he, he, he showed a picture. Anybody remember this? He had a picture of himself in the writer's room. And he said, this is my writer's room. And the problem was in the writer in most Hollywood writer's rooms, there's like 10, 15 people all working on the script. Well, in his writer's room, there was only Tyler Perry. There was nobody else in there. And people were sort of like kind of confused because they were like, wait a minute. So you're telling me that you did a movie with five black female characters and you played every single one of them? That's crazy, you know. And I and I do agree. I think that's a little bit, a little bit much, a little bit diva. However, he has the right to be that diva. He has the right to be, uh, you know, the guy who controls the process. And if you watch his movies and you see the credits, it'll say written by Tyler Perry, produced by Tyler Perry, directed by Tyler Perry, right? And that that's because he's able to control the process. He doesn't have to go and ask the boss to uh, give him a credit as the producer or to make him the star of the show he or, or to, to, to get the direction on the script, he gets to make that decision himself. That's a lot of power and a lot of control. And what's impressive is that um, that he, he built most a lot of that on his own, right? And so the same way he built that on a billion dollar scale, well, your child, maybe, maybe they can't be a billionaire like Tyler Perry, but they can build it on a multi-million dollar scale. I know plenty of people who do the same thing. They know their audience. They they understand the marketing and the and all that other stuff. So they know their audience who they're making movies for, plays for, whatever. They'll make a movie for that audience. They control the whole process, everything from the script to uh, to directing, acting, producing, all that stuff. Uh, and then they end up making a profit. So they'll they'll spend maybe instead of spending I don't know five million, ten million dollars on a movie, maybe they'll spend I don't know forty thousand dollars on a movie. And then flip that over and make a hundred thousand or one hundred fifty thousand, and then sort of just rinse and repeat the process. And so, so really, this is why understanding business is so important. I think it's important to make that part of a, a, a cultural norm within your family. I, I think also conversational learning is a lot better than you know, sort of making your kids sit there and stare at you while you point at a chalkboard. 
I would encourage you to do it very conversationally. Just have these have these kinds of discussions with them. Bring them to this class if you want to, and uh, and and sort of get them exposed in a very gentle way, so they don't think of economics and finance as something that has to be formally taught in a classroom. No, you're being taught economics. Because I remember I was telling you, wealth is life. Life is wealth to some extent, uh, and uh, and I can tell you that um, that you can learn a lot of this stuff probably more effectively just by talking about it more so than by sort of formally learning formulas and all this other stuff. All right. So uh, anyway, one thing I want to mention is uh, there's a stock that I like. Uh, today you saw the stock market drop by 300 points. Uh, I'll explain why in just a second, but I want to give you guys a, a stock pick that I really like. It's uh, Cleveland Cliffs. Uh, Cleveland Cliffs, they're a steel maker. And, uh, and based on my research, this looks like a, a, this is something I'm adding to my portfolio. The ticker symbol is L, uh, sorry, CLF, CLF. That's Charlie Lima. What's the F? Uh, Foxtrot. Charlie Lima Foxtrot. Okay. So somebody types CLF in the chat so everybody else can see it. That's the stock that I like. Now, again, this is not invested advice, uh, nothing is guaranteed. Uh, every stock that I select is a more of a three to five year long term investment. So don't think this is something that's going to flip tomorrow. Uh, but it is something that uh, that might be worth taking a look at. Uh, if you have if you don't get the profit alerts uh, via text, uh, just text the word stock to three one nine nine six. You can text stock to thirty one ninety nine six. I'll send you the profit alerts uh, to you. And uh, also, um, it, don't forget, next week, we're going to start doing stock market Tuesdays on uh, on our social media platform, Black Enough. So if you go to blagenough.com, B-L-A-G-G-E-N-U-F.com, uh, then you, you'll you get the invitation. So so next week we're going to switch over and I won't be doing it um, in Zoom or anything like that. All right, so, um, all right, so here's uh, a couple of things happening right now. Right now, the stock market has pretty much been hit pretty hard. It dropped by 300 points today. Uh, that's a big deal. And uh, the reason it dropped is uh, largely because you have uh, the big word for today would be uncertainty. You have a lot of uncertainty in the market uh, where in, in what happens with uh, with the financial equations uh, in terms of what happens to the value of any asset when there's additional uncertainty. You already know this, by the way. You just maybe I just need to explain how you already know this. But what happens with any asset when there's uncertainty is that the value and the willingness of people to pay for that asset drops. OK, uh, there's no such thing as a yes or no decision when it comes to whether or not you buy something. Like if I say, would well, do you want to buy this beautiful house? Well, the answer should never be yes or no. The answer should be it depends. Right. It's always it depends. Well, what's the price? Right. So uh, why does this come in, come to play? Well, um, you know, if you talk about uncertainty and how uncertainty impacts the price of an asset, let's say that there is uh, let's say that you own the New York Knicks and you're thinking about signing this player. And uh, you're going to pay him $20 million a year because he's a really good player. And then you find out that there's some uncertainty that maybe his knee, he, he had a knee injury and he may not actually be able to, uh, you know, play out his whole contract. There's no guarantees because he could be healthy the whole time, but there's some chance that maybe he could get injured again. So there's a lot of uncertainty into his ability to play right now. Uh, the question would be, well, would you still want to hire that player? Well, a lot of teams might say, yeah, we're still willing to hire him, but we're not going to pay him $20 million a year. We're going to change the contract. We'll pay him $15 million a year to compensate us for the additional risk that we're taking on. We're taking on this risk by signing this player, so we're going to pay, pay less because in, inherently in all financial assets, and believe, believe it or not, I'm sorry, I hate saying it like this, but a basketball player is a financial asset. Uh, I, I, I talked about even the, the murder of Tupac Shakur. I said a lot of people don't understand that when Tupac was killed, this wasn't just gangster stuff. This wasn't just street violence. This was also a form of economic warfare because if Tupac and Biggie had lived, each of them would probably have earned over a billion dollars by now. Uh, both of them would be billionaires, uh, multi-billion dollar assets for whatever companies they're, they're affiliated with. So effectively, um, economics and risk, these, 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 these concepts apply all the way across the board. So effectively what happened with the stock market now, the reason this, the stock market dropped is because there's a lot of uncertainty, particularly around things like interest rates, uh, things like oil prices, things like the value of the dollar, not in a bad way. Actually, the dollar got a little bit stronger. So don't think that this is some doomsday scenario where everyone keeps saying, oh, the dollar is going to just collapse and blah, 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 blah. No, I mean, I get it. I know everybody's excited about things like BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. I think those things are relevant for sure. But the dollar is not collapsing anytime soon because the United States has a lot of economic power. We have a lot of military power. Uh, it, if it does collapse or if it does drop significantly, it's going to take a long time. It's not going to happen next Tuesday. Okay, so uh, so basically, a lot of this uncertainty 
is causing prices to drop. The market tends to drop when we're just not sure what's going to happen. So effectively, the Federal Reserve is the big player in town. Right now, the Federal Reserve is basically uh, sort of being ambiguous about whether or not they're going to increase interest rates further. Uh, but they did give a warning to say that they probably would. But what's interesting, though, is that they didn't actually give an explicit warning. What's funny is people aren't really just looking at what the Fed does they're, or what the Fed says they're going to do. They're looking at what the Fed is reacting to. Right. So it's like uh, if I'm if I'm looking, if I'm trying to figure out your next move and I can't figure it out by looking at you, then I might look at, I might find out what you're looking at to decide your next move, right? So let's say that I don't know if you're going to go left or right. And, but every time you make a decision, you look at your mother, right? Let your mother's in the crowd and you glance at your mom and your mom does this, you know, she points left and you go left or she points right and you go right. Well, you know, one way I could uh, get a step up in terms of figuring out what your next move would be is not by watching you, but maybe by watching your mom, right? So effectively for the federal reserve, that they watch certain data. And one of the pieces of data they pay very close attention to has to do with uh, with the state of the economy. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So what's ironic, what's crazy right now with the economy, what's making this economy so weird is that you've, you've hit a stage where bad news is good news and good news is bad news. Like not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good, right? So, so what happens is, <laughs> so the, the economic data comes out, the reports say, the, the economy's strong, um, jobs are available everywhere. It's pretty awesome, you know, you know, to be a consumer or employee or whatever, not entirely awesome, but relatively speaking, uh, things are solid. And then the stock market just collapses, right? Because the stock market drops because they're thinking, oh crap, if the market is strong, then that means that they're gonna increase interest rates. So what they react to is not, this the good news that you think would lift the stock market. No, remember the stock market is a forward-looking indicator. It means it, it doesn't, it's not looking at what's happening now. Stock market doesn't react to what's happening now. The stock market reacts to what's gonna what it thinks is gonna happen in the future. Okay. That's why, for example, when you have the, the recession, which most experts believe the recession is coming, it's not gonna be the end of the world, but a recession is coming. It's definitely coming. It's definitely coming because for sure you cannot have an economy this strong forever. What, what goes up must come down, what ebbs must flow. It It's just, you know, my mother, my, my wife always talks about what it, the hermetic principles and stuff like that. That's all it is. It's not the end of the world. It just means that you can't have a great economy forever. Like a football team that's 4-0, they might be 5-0, 6-0, 7-0, 8-0, but every time they win another game, that increases the likelihood that eventually they're going to take a loss. Okay? Uh, so, so eventually this economy is going to take an L. It's going to happen. So what's going to happen most likely, though, is people are going to be confused. Though Your relatives, family, and friends who are not investing, who are not doing what you're doing, they're going to get mad at you because what's going to happen is that right when they're, 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 they're living in fear from the recession, the recession's kicking their butt, uh, they're going to look at you and you're going to be talking about how happy you are because your stocks are doing so well. Can't be, why? Well, because the stock market does not react to the present. The stock market reacts to the future, which is really a cue and a clue on how to be a great investor. Great investors are never are rarely looking at the, the present. They rarely look at the past. They only look at the present or the past to the extent that the present or the past can tell them something about the future. So if you want to be a good investor, you want to teach your kids to be good investors, teach them how to look at the future. Teach them how to look at the trends. Look at the direction things are going. Look at where things are going to be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. Why? why? Well, because if I'm preparing for if it's 2023, and I'm preparing for the year 2028, then I've got, uh, I have no competition. I have a huge head start on the rest of the world. If you had been preparing for 2023, back when it was 2018, you'd probably be rich by now because you would have done something very basic, like bought Bitcoin every single week and your, your Bitcoin would have doubled, quadrupled in value. Even though Bitcoin's down, it's much, much higher than it was back in 2018. Give me a guess if you're following what I'm saying. Give me a guess if all this is making sense. Sometimes I talk fast because I get excited, but this, this really does excite me because what it does is it creates a wide open opportunity, a wide open economic wormhole, a possibility of all the great things that can happen in your life if you simply learn how to stop listening to stupid people. Right? If you simply learn how to listen to yourself, uh, if you learn how to follow you, I'm not even telling you to listen to me. No, don't listen to anything I say unless it makes sense to you. Right. I'm not your I'm not your leader, your boss or anything like that. I'm just an advisor. I'm just a person who's sharing a perspective that can hopefully help you to make your final decisions in terms of where you want to go. Now, uh, one of you were asking about the stock options class, things like that. Uh, if you want to join the prime program, we are going to have a meeting 
uh, tonight, actually, the Prime Pro class is meeting tonight. Pat Prime stands for Passive Recurring Income Machine, and that's basically where we talk about which which stocks to sell options on in order to generate passive recurring income. Uh, so if you'd like to take a look at what we do in that class, just go to BoyceWatkins.com. There's a training called How to Make Money Without Working. Uh, so feel free to go take a look at that, and that'll explain what we do in the Prime class, and you can decide if you want to take a look. Also, Chanel's in the chat. She put the link in there so you guys can take a look at that. Uh, also, um, uh, the other thing, too, I want to mention is uh, if you want to train your kids on economics, as you guys know, we have financial flashcards for kids. We have uh, flashcards for credit to teach them all the rules of credit. We also have flashcards for real estate uh, to teach them everything they need to know about real estate. So uh, right now they're on a discount at 30% off, I believe. So you can go to financialflashcards.com. That's financialflashcards.com. Feel free to take a look. Uh, studies show that the sooner you get your kids introduced to economics, the better off they're going to be lifetime, the better off they're going to be in terms of financial security, uh, reduce financial anxiety. A lot of uh, financial security is very stressful. Uh, it does affect your mental and physical health. It's really, really hard to endure. And America is not a country that really is designed for everyone to have financial security. And this really is something to speak on in terms of considering where you or your family or your children might want to live in the future. Uh, as I told you guys, I went to uh, Europe this past summer. I went to Iceland and Denmark with my, my girls. And, uh, and I can tell you, those societies are just so much more peaceful than the U.S. I'm not saying that they're perfect, but when I was there, I felt so good and comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not a lot of black people there, for sure. But I don't care about that. I don't care what people think about me. I'm, I just... You know, I care about what 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 I think of myself, right? So I'm not sitting around wondering if white people like me or not. I don't do that. Uh, but when when I was there, I remember um, I saw very few homeless people. I didn't see a single homeless person in Iceland. I saw very few in Denmark. I saw maybe one or two. I one of the guys I talked to him for a little bit, and he he didn't see, he seemed pretty harmless. Um, uh, but then um, number two, there's almost no gun violence in the United States. Everybody's getting shot up. You live in Chicago. Shootings happen everywhere, constantly, all the time. It's terrible, especially in black neighborhoods, because uh, that's kind of kind of where they push everything. What else? Um, uh, there's a different view on immigration also, by the way. Uh, in countries like Denmark, you can't just walk in and just be a citizen. Uh, it takes a long time to become a citizen. I know somebody who married a person in Denmark and had a child with him and still couldn't become a citizen, right? So so, so immigration is different there. Not that it's bad here one way or the other. You can think what you want, but it does. It's a lot different. What else did I notice? Oh, I didn't see, I didn't see hardly any um, overweight people. The United States has a, a lot of obese, we're, obese people who die, who get uh, sick and fat and old and um, and the diabetes and all that stuff and the cancer is pretty high here because the, the food that they sell us is, is pretty terrible. So over there, I didn't hardly see any obese people, not just because the food is better and they regulate it more, but also um, they, they do things to incentivize people to exercise. So when I was in Denmark, I, I would see just hundreds of bikes. I've seen so many people on bikes and, uh, and, and I thought that was really interesting. And uh, what was the last thing? One other thing I noticed, uh, when we're, oh, of course, the education system, 10, 100 times better. Uh, you know, you, you'll find a regular person who works at Arby's or something who is like, who knows two or three languages. Whereas the other day I saw this funny video of this lady and the guy said, um, uh, he, she, he said, uh, can you spell, spell river? And she said, uh, R-I-V-E-R. He said, now put a D in front of river. And she said, put a D in front of it? He said, yeah, put a D in front of it. What, what does that spell? And she said, uh, I don't know, D river? D, right. And obviously it's a driver, right? D-R-I-V-E-R. But, but she just said she didn't know how to, you know, so, so it's just kind of funny in the U.S. I think that we, we, we kind of expect our educational system to be really terrible over there. It's not. So I would also, so I would think about that in terms of, in short, about quality of life. Um, I would consider other countries. Also, I think that if you get your child a um, passport while they're young, that's a massively good investment. And if, if, you know, remember, like if you, if I was to look up the cost of flying to Africa or something, Ghana right now, it, it, it might be like maybe double what it might cost me to fly to Detroit. Right. Or something. Right. So I would I would get my child a passport, all my kids um, and take them around the world. That's the be that's a great educational process. Global, like sort of world schooling, as they call it, like taking your child to different parts of the world and talking to them a lot. That's far more effective than just, you know, sending them to like some building every day. Like I, I just really think that that's that's a much because I think the foundation of education really 
in terms of what, what what was missing when I was a kid, which caused my grades to be absolutely terrible, was that it, my education was missing a key ingredient that I needed as a kid, which was love, love and support and confidence. Just having people around me that cared about me. I didn't. I, I knew those white ladies didn't care about me. I, you know, whatever. And um, you know, but when I got around some, I noticed when I look back, when I got around somebody who really cared about me, who wanted to see me do well, uh, who really helped me, I did. I would soar. I would do really well. That was when I showed my natural intelligence. Um, cause what, what happened one time was, um, I had F's in almost every class that I had, maybe D's and F's, C's, stuff like that. And, uh, and I went to this all white school called Kentucky country day and, uh, it was a great school, but it was a horrible experience for an 11 or 12 year old. Uh, cause I didn't know how to deal with, at that time, I didn't know how to deal with racism. I didn't know how to deal with bullying and cause I was the poor kid too. My, my parents didn't have a lot of money. So we got one of those poor black kids scholarships, you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and in that school, I, I just stumbled through. My grades were terrible. And uh, one time I had somebody, I went, used to go to this place after school called the Wesley House. And they had this guy, and he was a white guy, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And he helped me with my math. He just sat there with me, and I felt like this guy really wanted to see me do well. You know, he was a really nice person, and I appreciated his help. And guess what happened? I went into, and I took the next math test. And the teacher comes in the room, and she says, uh, guess who got the highest score on the math test? And, and 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 then nobody knows they're like who and she says Boyce and they're like Boyce Boyce got the highest score in the class like Boyce doesn't get the highest score in the class well what are you no way right and and she said no he didn't get the highest score in the class he got the highest score in the entire seventh grade do you hear me like literally the, the whole seventh grade like all the classes I had the highest score of all the classes in the whole seventh grade. And this was um, at that time, I didn't know I was going to be a finance professor. I didn't know uh, that I was going to do what I do now. Right now, now I'm comfortable with, with what I know. Right. Like I, I taught math at University of Kentucky and all that. But back then, I didn't know these things were in me, you know, and, and I think that it, so. So it was really kind of blew my mind. It, they were shocked. I know that because I had an F in, in the class at the time. So so what I really think with your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and nephews and all the kids that are struggling with the school system is that there's probably a lot in them, you know, in, in terms of uh, uh, assets that haven't been pulled out. That, 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 that greatness inside of them probably hasn't been pulled out because it's either been distracted by all the nonsense that, that we see in, in, in on social media and hip hop and all that, or it maybe they, they don't, the confidence isn't there yet. Um, the, the vision isn't there. And then also the love, might be missing. You know, I, I realized in hindsight that if I had simply been able to go to a school where there were people there who loved me and cared about me and wanted to see me do well, almost every child will perform their butts off for somebody who cares about them. Uh, uh, Kevin Cosby, who's a pastor in Kentucky, says something that's really powerful. That I think is very important. I think you should apply it when you're talking about wealth and teaching education, or teaching things to your kids, especially, is he says, before you correct, you must connect. Right. Before you correct, you must connect. So before you start telling people what to do, or like when you go home and you start telling all your loved ones about, oh, my God, I've learned about stocks and it's really making a difference for me. Well, first of all, like I think to get people to listen to you, you have to let them know that you care about them. Right. So maybe the, the best first step. In fact, the best the, the, the first step I take before I want somebody when I want somebody to listen to me is I start off by listening to them. And I listen to them intensely. If you've ever met me at any event, you will notice that I don't talk a lot. I just listen, 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 because I meet you guys and you guys, have, you want, you have stories to tell. You tell me about how you started your business and what you're doing in the black business school, what you're doing with your family. My goal is to listen, 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 because I know I do a lot of talking, right? So you, the fact that you've listened to me means I need to also listen to you, okay? And I think, and these are little tips, again, things that I encourage you to consider as you're trying to convince your family. Because I don't know, but how many of you go through that problem where, you have people in your family that you feel like are just very hard to convince. They just, you know, some of them stuck on stupid. Some of them want to be ignorant. Some of them just don't know. Some of them uh, are trying with the wrong rules, you know, and, and it's very frustrating, right? Cause you're like, I want to convince my family, but they won't invest with me. You're right. And, uh, and I would just say that patience really is important uh, because there's a lot of other messages out there, a lot of chaos that you have to kind of work through. So just keep that in mind. All right. So let's, let's finish talking about the stock market here. And then I'm gonna answer some of your questions uh, that are in the chat and the Q and a, put your question in the Q and a section. If you have a question, if you put it in the chat, I may not see it. Uh, all right. <clears throat> so uh, right now the, with the Dow dropping by 300 points, again, not the end of the world, but it's, lar it's largely due to the fact that the Fed may increase interest rates because the economy is so strong. Uh, also, there's some volatility in terms of oil prices, things happening in the Middle East that are creating some, some issues. The dollar got a little stronger, which, which can be bad for the economy, because when the dollar is strong, that reduces imports. 
So that that makes it harder. Or sorry, reduces exports, not imports. Sorry, exports. It increases imports. Uh, you know, because what happens is that when the dollar goes up in value, your products. If you are a company that sells products overseas, your products go up in price. So when something goes up in price, then the demand drops. Then there's also the whole conversation about the government shutdown. Uh, from what I understand, I got to go read up on the latest here. But uh, basically, your your silly, goofy, childlike politicians that you have uh, who can't stop fighting. Uh, they sort of put a Band-Aid on this government funding issue, but they didn't really actually resolve it. And so it's really a countdown to the next crisis. And uh, so uh, that uncertainty is also causing issues with stocks. Now, one of the things I mentioned to you guys before is that the stock market, when you look at the history and you look at the data, the stock market doesn't typically do that badly when you have uh, a government shutdown. Uh, historically, the market, ironically, actually goes up a little bit when there's a shutdown. It's Crazy. It doesn't make sense. Right. But part of the reason the market doesn't overreact to shutdowns is because they know that it's temporary. Uh, you know, again, uh, <laughs> you know, in a way, it reminds me of how like a, a mature, a mature, stable person doesn't really listen too much to somebody when they're behaving like a child. Like if you're a parent and you are seeking to be mature and disciplined in, in your behavior you, and your teenager comes in screaming and hollering and going crazy, right? Your best move is to sometimes just not react, just kind of listen and respond and just, cause you know, it's going to go away. It's like, you know, we have two teenage girls and they're, you know, their, their moods are like the weather. I don't know if anybody else has ever raised crazy teenagers or not, but their moods are like the weather. We don't know if they're going to come home with some sort of life ending crisis or they're going to come home ecstatic and happy. Maybe they met a new boy or something like that. Right. So, so my point in, is in this is to say, that your politicians are kind of like that. They're like, the, you know, the crazy teenagers that are very moody and just say things that are ridiculous. Um, and uh, the stock market is more rational. The stock market is more, um, the stock market is more balanced in terms of saying, eh, you know, um, okay, yeah, you know, remember the stock market doesn't just look in the future. The stock market also has a bigger view, a bigger perspective. The stock market is looking at the bigger picture. So the stock market says, yeah, you know, the government's crack, you know, the government's uh, shutting down and the world's coming to an end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, whatever. Now, what's the, what, what are the next five years look like? And uh, and and that's so that's another tip as an investor. It's another tip. I was talking to um, uh, one of my friends, uh, Julian Gordon, who's a real estate guy. You guys know him. Uh, uh, he's, he's, he's been our dean of real estate in the black business school for a long time. And uh, and uh, and I I told him that um, that one of the things that helps me a lot in everything I do as an investor not just financial investor, but even when I invest in like my marriage and stuff like that, is I said, one thing that really helped me a lot is I always look at the big picture. So if I ever get into a back and forth, let's say I get into an argument with my wife. Um, yes, I do argue with my wife. I, I think it's important to know that if you're not married, you're not going to have a relationship where you don't di ever disagree. That just doesn't happen. Um, you know what I ask myself? I say, you know, um, I, I try to, I look at my life as if I'm an 88-year-old man who's sitting in a hospice who, who who's only reflecting back on the last 30 years. So it's the year 2052 or whatever, and I'm looking back on my life and the things that mattered. And uh, and what I realize is that in five or 10 years or, or longer, this argument isn't going to matter to me at all. What's going to matter is whether or not I stayed with my wife or didn't stay with my wife. And then instantly, I just shut down. I, I, I Not shut down in a bad, bad way. But whatever I was mad about, I just it helps me let it go because it starts to look very small in the whole scheme of things. So uh, so a lot of your um, a lot. So what I'm saying to you is that if you want to be a good investor, learn how to look at the big picture. Always learn how to look at the big picture. Don't get so trapped in the moment that you're just thinking that what's happening right now is the most important thing in the world. Remember, there were a, a million moments that have happened up until this point that you've completely forgotten about. There were big things that were really big and really important in 2019, where if I asked you to name 20 important things that happened in 2019, you can't, you probably couldn't remember, right? So effectively, I encourage you to do the same thing when it comes to investing. Look at that bigger picture. So when I told you guys about that stock earlier, Cleveland Cliffs, uh, I'm, I'm talking big, big picture long term. Also, remember this, uh, one stock is one stock in one good week is not going to change your whole economic situation. Uh, so that one stock should be part of a portfolio of many stocks, a big picture portfolio that you have uh, where you may not even remember that you own this stock in the future. Like don't get to the point where you're sitting here thinking this one stock is going to be the one thing that changes everything. Wealth doesn't happen that way. You know, it's like uh, if I walk across the country from New York to California, I'm not going to get there with one step. I'm not going to get there with, you know, one really hard 
you know, like walking really fast for 20 minutes. That's not going to get me there. What's going to get me there is, you know, two, three million steps or however many steps it takes. Uh, Michael, Michelle, yeah, it's uh, Cleveland Cliffs, a CLF, uh, CLF. Somebody type CLF in the chat so we can, so everybody can know. That was the stock that I mentioned today. If you want to see the other stocks that are there, uh, just log in. Just log in at theblackbusinessschool.com and look under what Dr. Boyce is buying. Um, those of you that are in the stock market class, uh, that I give you that list every week. So there's several other stocks in there. <clears throat> so if you want to go take a look, just log in at theblackbusinessschool.com and look for what Dr. Boyce is buying. All right. So, uh, okay. So let me answer a few of your questions. Eric Travis says, Dr. Boyce Watkins, I'm 49 years old. I don't know if I should say hello or what's up. <laughs> I know, right? It's kind of kind of weird being uh, close to 50. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, hello for now. What is the difference in interest from a loan from a loan from a bank as opposed to a loan from an angel investor using marginal Robinhood? Uh, that's a great question. Robinhood does not charge you a lot of interest in margin loans. And and uh, and I was showing someone this weekend how you know similar to the way you do real estate. If you look at something like selling stock options on even a pretty safe, relatively safe stock like Meta. The amount of ROI you would get by selling those stock options is far superior to what you'd get in a real estate deal with a lot less work, right? Um, and so, uh, so for example, I did the math right there on my calculator as I was talking to this person. There was a student who did a one-on-one -on -one consultation with me, and that was the person I was going through this with in terms of what to do. You know, she had a few hundred thousand dollars and, and was thinking about buying property and stuff like that. And I was like, well, do you want to be a landlord? She's like, no, not really. I was, but I have to because well, I was like, no, you don't have to do anything. Uh, if you want to get into real estate, you can do things like real estate investment trust and have your hands clean the whole time and still get some benefits from owning real estate. Um, but I said, you know, also, let's say theoretically that you bought, you know, let's say you take the amount that you might spend on a $600,000 property. Um, I said, if you go, let's say you were to buy theoretically, not that this was investing advice, this is just an example. If you bought $600,000 worth of meta stock, Right. Meta is a company that is not risk free, but it's not ri extremely risky. Right. Uh, a re really risky stock would be different. A risk free stock would be would be different as well. Meta is kind of in the middle. So I said, let's say you bought six hundred thousand dollars worth of Meta stock. And then let's say that you also you so you and you were selling stock options on this stock every single month, uh, just like you collect rent on an, on, a, on a building. Uh, and then let's say you buy put options to protect yourself from the downside. They call that a collar. Uh, I, I, just, I did the math for her and I said, you know, this would generate, uh, you know, maybe fourteen to $17,000 a month in income for you, literally. Like, and I said, so can you name a property that you could buy for $600,000 that would generate fourteen dollars to $17,000 a month in income with no work required whatsoever? No, no, no expenses, no losses, no, or, no, you know, whatever, right? I would say no losses. I don't say it like that, but minimal losses, right? Like, can you think of anything? that you could do in real estate that would match that. And she said, no, I said, yeah. So I'm not saying this is what you should do, but I'm saying this is what me and my wife are doing. Like we're literally selling our, a lot of our property and we're taking that money and we're owning shares of big companies in America and selling options on big safe companies in America and managing our risk properly. Uh, the other piece to that that I want to mention also, oh, that's right. We we're talking about uh, Robinhood. So Robinhood gives you margin on those investments, right? Mean margin is basically a loan. Just like in real estate, how the bank will loan you a certain amount uh, to buy property. Well, Robinhood will loan you, not even just Robinhood, E-Trade, a lot of these places will do this. They will loan you a certain amount of money to go buy that stock, right? So with Meta, maybe maybe you put up, maybe maybe you have to put up maybe, uh, I want to say 50 to 60%, something like that. And uh, and the rest is is debt. Debt is good when it works. It's bad when it doesn't. So you want to prepare for both. Right. Some people make the mistake of only looking up. They only look at the good thing about debt. They don't look at the bad. You got to look at both. Just like in uh, just like if, if you if you, you use a football analogy, uh, a, a team that is playing defense has to prepare for the possibility that the other team is going to run the ball. And they also must prepare for the fact that they're going to throw the ball. So uh, just and I hope you can bear with me if you're not a football fan. I am. So this is what's on my brain right now, because I've been I was watching football all weekend. But um but, you know, if I think that you're going to run and I say, OK, let's put all 11 of my defenders on on the offensive line. What's going to happen? What, what happens if I put all my defenders on the on the line to blitz and nobody's guarding the wide receivers? What's going to happen? Get, answer that in the chat. The quarterback's going to back up. He's going to throw the ball down the field and I'm going to get killed. Right. But let's say that I do what they call a prevent defense and I only guard the wide receivers and I don't guard the running back or I don't you know, get I don't stop the run. 
Well, they're going to run the ball, right? So effectively, you have to prepare for both. That's the point. So the same thing is true with debt or any form of investing. Uh, the thing about risk management, the thing about playing defense on your wealth, and this is important. A lot of people talk about offense and making money. They don't talk about defense, protecting money, is that you have to sort of think about all the things that can go wrong and prepare for as many of those things as you possibly can while fully understanding that you will never be ready for everything. You will never be prepared for everything, okay? Now, again, I'm going to use another football analogy and educate you guys on what it means in case you don't watch football. But one thing that they tell quarterbacks in football, uh, Shador Sanders, I'm sure his dad Dion tells him this, is sometimes they'll just say, Get, take what the defense gives you. Take what the defense gives you. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that the defense can't stop everything, right? They, they can try, but they can't. They don't have enough players. So effectively, if you see that they're taking away your ability to throw the ball, then you run the ball. If they're going to throw away the build, take your ability to build your run, then you throw it. If they open up the middle of the field, then you throw it to the middle of the field, right? So so you have to take what the defense gives you when it comes to investing. So, so effectively, uh, there's risk everywhere. There's possibility everywhere. And you want to be able to process both. So anyway, uh, that's, that's a thought. Um, I don't even know how I got to that from your question. Uh, oh, that's right. You're asking about the difference in loans and things like that. You know how I am. I go on tangents sometimes, but hopefully these are good tangents because these are ideas that I believe will be, benefit you as you make your investing move. Now, for those of you that want to see in detail what I just talked about in terms of how to sell the options and all that, uh, again, on boycewalkins.com, there's a training, how to make money without working. Feel free to go to my website, boycewalkins.com, and it's all right there. All right. So let's see. Ronnie David from Queens Technical High School. Okay. Ronnie, is Ronnie, are, are you are you in high school? That's that's awesome, man. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I know that the Queens Technical High School. It seems like you guys bring your students to class every week, don't you? If you do, I, I I'm so proud of you. I'm so impressed by that. I am so uh, so uh, excited about the fact that you understand what I what we what we talk about all the time. We got to get our kids talking about this stuff early, looking at wealth early. They already they already know what money is. They already like money. Why not position them so they know how to make money instead of throwing them out in the world with no ability to make money. And then they end up destitute and broke and struggling and, and going to the penitentiary and getting killed because they're trying to make money. And a lot of them do it because they don't know how to make money. That's uh, what one guy told me. He was in, uh, from Southside Chicago. He, 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 was, he was in a gang. And he said, you know, I'm really happy that you explain how to make money because a lot of us do crazy things to get money because we don't know how to get it. Well, I'll tell you what, very basic. If you want something, learn how to get it, right? That's it. Study how to get it. Uh, if you want to, you know, like I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to impress my wife. I studied my wife, right? I studied her like a book. Um, I wanted to, you know, if you want to, uh, I want to start a business. I studied how to start a business. I wanted to have a good marriage. I studied how to have a good marriage. I wanted to be in shape. I studied how to get in shape. You, you got to study the things that you, that matter for you. Not just study the things that you're told to study. Study the things that are going to get you the life that you want. I think this is probably the most important thing I've said today, to be honest with you. Um, I hope I hope somebody heard that. All right. So, what are your thoughts on Block SQ? Do you think it will get back to its new highs? All right. So let me uh, let me go and take a look at Block SQ. Um, uh, let's see. Give me one second here. Uh, let me pull up my phone. All right. Block SQ. Okay.